NL West, SD across the chest, youth movement, really dope ex-prospects, Big Willie, leader of the young pups, they hating on us, watching you them jump up, we ain't care, we ain't scared of nobody, the outfield, mad skills, lottie dottie, Austin Hedges throwing out everybody, we at the ballpark, every game's a party, ignorance is bliss, so we never trip, if the pitching's up the pod, and watch out for the kids, EVT is out here broadcasting, EVT is out here podcasting, question and answer, James and Patrick, ask them, question and answer, James and Patrick, ask them, Padres EVT Podcast. Padres EVT Podcast. Greetings and welcome to the East Village Times Podcast. I'm your host, James Clark, and with me as usual is Patrick Brewer. What's going on, Patrick? Um, just chilling, James. How are you? Uh, not too bad. Just uh, kind of recovering after last night's uh, loss from the Padres. They figured out another way to lose a game uh, with a couple of walks here and there, a bases loaded balk, and a botched double play. Um, go Padres. Yeah, it was pretty ugly. Um, I didn't I didn't get to see the game, luckily, I guess, because I didn't want to see that yeah. kind of uh, play. But uh, yeah, I heard I heard bad things, so not a good yeah, time. <laughs> their their tank game is very strong. They they they, they should have won that game three to two, um, but they just happened to just let it squeak by. And uh, you know, with a young team, that's just how it's going to be the the rest of the year. And, and uh, Padre fans like you and and I are just going to have to deal with it. Yeah, they're gonna lose their games like that, and it's gonna be a okay, and and we'll be better for it, I think. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, well, folks, today on our thirty first episode, we're happy and uh, proud to have uh, Eric Longenhagen, Fangraphs lead prospect analyst, with us here today. Uh, we're definitely gonna delve into a lot of the uh, prospects on the Padres uh, farm system. Uh, what's going on, Eric? How are you doing today? I'm doing pretty good, guys. Good afternoon to both of you. Uh, but yeah, I make it's a good farm system. So, and I actually saw one of their extended teams yesterday, so I've got some like fresh eyes on some dudes. So yeah, I'm, nice, I'm ready to talk nice. about a, one of the better systems in baseball. Great, great. Well, let's get right into it then. What did, what, uh, what did you see yesterday? Let's get some fresh news. Anything in particular, <laughs> anything catch your eye? Uh, you know, they've just got a couple interesting arms down here. Uh, Michelle Miliano didn't throw yesterday. He was charting, so I assume he threw in an intra-squad game today but that's a guy who i think is gonna rocket up of up prospect lists you know mm-hmm. mid-season into the offseason uh signed for four hundred and fifty thousand last july if i remember correctly it's just like one yeah. of those prototypical teenage bodies like 6'3 160 very easy delivery and like the velocity has already started spiking over the last several months, he was like upper 80s, low 90s last fall, and has been more consistently in the low to mid 90s this spring. Uh, so I haven't seen him personally yet this spring, but scouts who have are like um, very excited <laughs> about nice. what he's going to do this year in the AZL. Uh, like you know, they had a uh, Emmanuel Classe was like up to 93 yesterday, and uh, Ramon is it or Fernando is it Fernando? I forget the the. Perez kid, they signed out of Cuba in yeah, December. Favier, Ramon yeah, Favier, Ramon. Yeah, yeah. Perez, Favier, yeah. Yeah. The left-handed like pitcher, yeah. 86 to 90 yesterday. It's a pretty mature okay. body, so I'm not sure what's what else is going to come there. But, um, but yeah, it's, he's got a pretty interesting sink on his fastball. And then, you know, I saw some of the high-profile Latin American kids from last year, like uh, Lopez and, and Jason Rosario and Tirso Ornelas were all playing yesterday. And, Things are pretty much as is there. 
Uh, Rosario's timing seems to be a little off, but I think he's got the most offensive potential of, of any of those three. It's just a little uh, – it needs more polish than I thought it was going to last fall. So that's that's kind of the, you know what I saw yesterday. It's just one look. They came to the East Valley yesterday, so I took advantage of that. Nice, nice. It's it's interesting seeing uh, the young kids as they progress. I know there's a lot of uh, a lot of room for growth with with a lot of the young uh, Padre prospects. So yeah. it's tough to get a, a get an idea of what their ceiling is right now. But it's it's a it's a process. I think AJ Pearl is just kind of surrounded the team with with as many arms as he can get, hoping that uh, some of them actually make it to the major leagues. And we're kind of patiently waiting and, and seeing what's going on between uh, all the young pitchers and stuff. Mm-hmm. It's uh, you know, you had mentioned uh, um, Michelle Miliano a little bit. I, 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 he's been pretty impressive. Um, you know, I've heard some stories about his breaking stuff. Can you elaborate on the breaking stuff if that's coming along at all? Uh, yeah, I mean, like I said, I haven't seen him yet this spring personally, but he just does have very precocious curveball feel. It wouldn't surprise me if it were. If you want to project project it to as plus, like I wouldn't argue with you. I think that's that's totally fine. I was pretty aggressive with him when I ranked him over the off season. I think I had him in the in the low in the low twenties, like twenty two or something like that in the system. Uh, it, it's just it's it's just totally like it's just you know a sixteen year old. If you were a sixteen year old high school kid, uh, we'd be talking about him as like yeah, this kid might go like in the top ten or fifteen picks of the draft next year. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, for four hundred fifty thousand dollars, it's pretty good. Yeah, definitely. You can't complain for sure. I mean, he's he's progressing, and that's all that that's all that you really ask at that at that age. All right, I wanted to actually talk about uh, Adrian Morahone, and if you have uh, seen him at all this uh, spring. Yeah, yeah, uh, I saw him early in the spring. I think he's kind of been shut down lately. Whether that's I've heard some mm-hmm. some uh, rumors out here about his shoulder maybe yeah yeah sore. Uh, but like when I saw him early. I thought, you know, this kid's going to end the year at like double A. <laughs> it's um it's it's low to mid 90s with late movement and he goes after hitters with just no no fear at all. Just inside outside. Uh I saw him pitching an inner squad game and he's like brushing his teammates back and stuff. Like it is uh it is uh everything that you want in like a a hard-throwing competitive lefty. There's not a whole lot of physical projection, right? It's Six mm-hmm. one, body's pretty much maxed out, uh, but his sequencing, his command, both his, uh, his slider and the changeup are of bat missing quality already. Um, he's he's the type of prospect with good health that should theoretically move pretty quickly, uh, and so some of like the Julio Urias comps they get dropped on him because of that are like, they're not illegitimate, you know, and it's weird to be comping a prospect to someone who's still like not old enough to drink. Uh, (laughs) But um, but yeah, like I get it when people say that because it does have that sort of quick moving vibe about uh, how polished he is. But now, you know, he threw two innings last fall and then was shut down. And now he hasn't quite got up to speed this spring because he was shut down. Uh, so, like, I think, you know, we're, there's some, there should probably be a little bit of concern about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but just on stuff and polish as far as pitchability goes for his age, it's pretty incredible. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to make the, uh, the Julio Urias comp, but uh, I, I, for one, don't like comps, so I wasn't yeah, going to say it. <laughs> yeah. But I'm glad you did. Yeah. It's, um, 
you get asked for them a lot. Yeah, 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 definitely. Uh, it, as a prospect writer, like it is just a thing because people, it's they're pretty pervasive throughout sports when you're talking about prospects. Like, mm-hmm. you know, the, you watch the NFL draft, you watch the NBA draft, especially. Yeah, and got, people want to know. People want to have some sort of idea about what a player is like, and it's it's harder for the layperson to watch an MLB draft or read about the MLB draft and look at tool grades and know for sure what that is supposed to be like. Mm-hmm. But if I tell you a guy is going to be like uh, Odubel Herrera or uh, Wilmer Flores, you have a much better idea of like what that means. So there's some communicative value in it. Scouts use comps on the body or delivery mm-hmm. or swing, but it's pretty rare for scouts to like seriously comp a player individually. Yeah, like think, the body comp, body comps are definitely a thing that happens like all the time. Yeah, I think about like half the questions you get in your FanGraphs chats are, uh, "Is this comp good? Is this comp good? Who's this guy like?" <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of comps and when is this guy going to be in the majors because yeah. people want to know for their fantasy team oh yeah yeah <laughs> uh but like the truth the truth is that like no one no one knows when these guys are coming up not even the teams like mike mike trout who is a god <laughs> only debuted because vernon wells got hurt it wasn't you know vernon wells who was who was bad you know was at a bad contract at the end of his career mm-hmm. um was blocking the greatest the greatest player of our generation until he got hurt. So like it's there's no even just on skill like it just doesn't we just don't know. Yeah. Uh, and I don't expect you know I, I say that once in a while in chats or publicly like now to try to you know get people to realize um, that we just don't know and it's just sort of a waste of my time to try to guess. <laughs> uh, yeah. But um, but yeah, it is. I understand why people want to do it and stuff, but yeah, it's comps and ETAs and stuff like that. They're just sort of at at the at the best, just educated guesses. Yeah, you're not going to sit here and say this guy is going to debut this year on this date, right? In this game. <laughs> um, so I wanted to kind of move off from Morahone. I want to talk about Anderson Espinoza. Um, if you've heard anything on the injury front with him, I've seen yeah. some Padre fans kind of worried about. I've heard the mention of Tommy John. That's just speculation, obviously, that, oh, they think he's going to be having Tommy John because it's a forearm issue, and that's sometimes where that goes. So I wanted your thoughts, if you've heard anything, maybe any inside information. Yeah, I got lucky enough to run into someone in the know a couple days ago out here, Um, and it sounds like he's going to be shut down for a couple weeks. Mm -hmm. You might not see him pitching again until mid to late June. Uh, But Tommy John doesn't sound like his is what's going on. It was a weird situation because I saw his last start in spring training before he got sent out to Lake Elsinore. Uh, it was like a, it was a Saturday and he was supposed to make his first start at Lake Elsinore that Thursday. And he was unbelievable. He was like up to 97 several times, uh, command and the timing of his delivery was a little bit off, but you know, it was still spring training and it was like the last start and it's just sort of, you know, guys are trying not to get hurt before they get out and start playing for real because they're kind of sick of uh, spring training. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then he rolled his ankle and was taken on a cart to, like, the team's facility and was just kind of done. And um, So it was odd to see him totally healthy, throwing really hard, roll his ankle and just have the start stopped, uh, probably as a precaution. 
and then that Thursday, like, hear that he's not going to start because of something with his arm. But, it, like, it, I was – just because of the Padres' history with injuries of late and people, you know, not being informed properly about them, mm-hmm. uh, I was a little bit skeptical about what might be going on. But, like, no, I've confirmed that it was. He just felt his elbow tweak during, like, a side session or while he was playing catch or whatever and – uh, it is an arm issue and not the ankle. Uh, and yeah, it's like, um, it just seems like it's going to be a couple weeks yet. And it's, uh, but yeah, I, I haven't heard Tommy John. Okay. Yeah. As Padre fans, we're always uh, skeptical. We've, like you said, we've had our problems with, uh, injuries that turn out to be worse than initially anticipated and guys right. that weren't injured or supposedly were injured and switched back and forth. So we're always uh, very skeptical. Um, another guy I want to talk about on that same sort of front is, is Jacob Nix, and if you've heard anything about him and, and how he's uh, coming along. No, Nix, I don't. I don't have anything on. Okay. Then I will move on from that. <laughs> um, I mean, let's... I think he's really good. He's a good prospect, though. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's someone who, uh, like, was in consideration for the, the very back of my, my top 100. I think he's kind of underrated, to be honest. Yeah, I think he's a guy that kind of – I think he's a little under the radar. I think he's a lot better than some people think. Um, obviously, there's still a lot of development there. Um, he's still young. Uh, let's talk about the rest of that uh, Lake Elsinore rotation, though. A lot of a lot of good arms in that um, rotation. Do you have any particular favorites? Uh, any any particular guys that stand out to you? Well, the weird guy. Well, I mean, obviously Quantrill. Mm-hmm. Uh, but um, and yeah, like Quantrill is. Probably he, he had he been healthy last year would have been in consideration for the top overall pick in the draft. Uh, it's a it's a very um, simple direct delivery chance for plus command plus change up low to mid nineties fastball. Scouts don't love the breaking ball, you know. It's like fringe to average, uh, probably average when you're projecting it out. But we've seen guys compete at a high level in the big leagues with just fastball changeup command. Cole Hamels was a World Series MVP as like a 23-year-old or whatever, maybe younger than that, with just those things. Um, so so he should be fine. Um, Joey Lucchesi, I guess he's probably been someone who, who fans have kind of flagged. His numbers, I, ma- I imagine, are pretty good. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's more of a deception, like funky, low-slot, slingy delivery from the left side type of, type of arm. The stuff is just sort of okay. Uh, that's the kind of guy who, you know, you kind of, if you're aggressively projecting him, you project him in the back of a rotation, but you always kind of know there's a chance that once he hits the upper levels, once he hits like double, double A, uh, triple A, that, that the stuff might, like that deception might not, uh, might not work as, as well anymore. Um, who else is in that uh, rotation? Oh, Lauer. Uh, yeah, Eric Lauer, Lauer wasn't, probably wasn't like a first round pick on true talent last year. The Padres got into a situation where a player they were trying to move back to one of their two late first round picks got picked, uh, in the middle of the, of the first round. Like a team was just like, you know, we have to take this kid. We can't pass on Mm -hmm. this kind of talent, even at the price. Um, so the Padres quickly uh at least this is my theory uh reworked things and 
took Hudson Potts and Lowry at the back of the first round so they could take Mason Thompson and Reggie Lawson and sign them over slot mm-hmm. uh, later in the draft. So uh, Lauer was like, I saw him, he was 85 to 89 in his final spring start. Um, and again, like he's he's an advanced pitchability college lefty who's still in A ball, so take whatever he's doing performance-wise with a grain of salt if he's succeeding. Mm-hmm. Although uh, certainly like, Succeeding with a 40 fastball in the Cal League is no small feat. Um, I talked to uh, some scouts who saw him at Kent State last year, including one that like saw his his no-no against Bowling Green. That really liked him, but that's just not what I saw during the spring. Uh, I think those are probably your your top prospects at at Elsinore. Mm-hmm. I haven't gotten out there yet to see to see those guys, but because uh, I was you know <laughs> waiting until after the draft <laughs> and yeah. know, it's good to probably go see Espinosa unless he, uh, he might get going in AZL and I might be able to drive 40 minutes to see him instead of five hours. Yeah. That's probably a better bet for you, huh? You live in uh, yeah. Tempe, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. So a little bit of a drive out to uh, California. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. So we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back with uh, more of Eric Longenhang and league prospect analysts at fangraphs.com. All right, folks, thank you so much for joining us on uh, episode 34 of the East Village Times podcast. Uh, we're back with Eric Longenhagen of uh, Fangraphs, the lead prospect analyst. Um, Eric, I'd love to talk to you a little bit about Mason Thompson and uh, Reggie Lawson, uh, both the right-handed uh, pitchers that the uh, Padres drafted this past June. Um, what is your impression on each, and um, who do you think out of the two has the higher ceiling? Uh, boy. Yeah, Lawson... Lawson is a guy who, entering his senior year of high school, I thought had a chance to be like a top 10 or 15 pick based on what I had seen the summer before, which was like uh, a burgeoning fastball, 87, 89, early in the summer, was like more 90, 92, touch of four, late in the summer, Really excellent curveball feel, very athletic, projectable body. Like, it's a pretty prototypical righty high school profile. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then his senior year, his delivery sort of unraveled a little bit. He was hurt. His stuff was down. Uh, and, like, a lot of teams were kind of off of him. And he had an Arizona State commit, which felt like, because of the injury, he might uh, honor. But, uh, but, yeah, I mean, like, the Padres paid him. Last fall, for me... It was uh, low 90s with uh, like a fringe sort of slurvy breaking ball. The delivery still wasn't quite back to where it was the summer before. Mm -hmm. Um, But like this spring, scouts have seen him think it's it's gotten a little bit better. Curveball's flashing plus. He's still like kind of just sitting 90-93. Uh, so maybe you'd like to see the velo tick up a little bit as he adds some some weight. But it sounds like you know it was a good it was a good overslot sign at this point. You know it's it's an above average fastball potential plus curveball. Uh, Thompson, Thompson, uh, Thompson. Scouts who have seen him this spring think you know it's kind of weird. It's not bad, uh, mm-hmm. but it's just when you look at him, he's a big physical like six foot four righty. And you expect this guy to come out and power fastballs past people, but it's really just kind of like a, like an average fastball with a chance for above average to plus curveball and change up with 
like plus command. It's just not. You look at the guy and just expect it to be different than it is. It's not bad. It's just uh, kind of strange. Mm-hmm. But they both look good. Uh, I think I think Thompson probably has the higher ceiling. I just think that the secondaries are, are going to be better than, than Lawson's will. Um, and I just have a little bit more faith in, in his ability to throw strikes consistently more so than, than Reggie right now. But I think they're both really good prospects and chance to be like above average mid-rotation, mid-rotation arms. Yeah, no, that's fair. They're both really young, just fresh out of high school. So it's kind of rough to project what they, what they will be. I mean, whether they'll even start or, or leave in the future, but it's a, uh, it's interesting to hear your point of view. Um, let's move to someone who's a little more polished, uh, someone on the AAA level. Um, Denilson Lament is someone who Padre fans are kind of calling for already. Uh, both Patrick and I are, are, are happy with him in AAA right now, kind of just, uh, growing, if you will. Um, give us a little progress report on Lament and, uh, whether you think he's ready at this point in his, uh, professional career. Yeah, he's got big stuff. Uh, the question is, does he throw enough strikes and work efficiently enough to start? Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, I, I think, I think you have to give him a shot, especially, you know, like you're a building club. And at some point this year, it's probably going to make sense to give him a shot at the big at the big league rotation and see how things uh, pan out. He's, he's, he's 24, right? I think he's mm-hmm. 24 going yeah. on 25 at some point this year, maybe. So you, you'd like there to be more control at this point than there is if you're projecting someone into a rotation. So while he's probably got like above average starter stuff, he's probably not going to pitch efficiently enough, even if he does start long term, to be that kind of guy. He probably fits more as like a number four type if he does end up starting. Uh, and I just tend to project guys who have this this kind of control this late uh, into into a bullpen, but especially yeah. if you're if you if you have a like a good major league team, then yeah, like this guy probably isn't starting for you. He's probably lights out at the back of your bullpen instead. So I, I understand that Padres fans want to see him because he's missing bats at triple a, uh, like a lot of them. Mm -hmm. But when he, but when he comes back, but when he comes, when he does come up and doesn't get out of the third or fourth inning because he's walked five guys, like don't be surprised. It's going to be like anything else. It's just going to be a work in progress. And, you know, maybe, Big league coaching helps him. Uh, there are a lot of paths for him yet to, to be a starter, and I've spoken with scouts who think that he can be, mm-hmm. but I'm just a little bit more bearish than they are. Okay, but that's fair enough. You know, it's it's tough for Padre fans seeing Jared Weaver start every fifth game, so it's natural for them to kind of <laughs> want for for a young younger pitcher with a you know upside, if you will, to come in and and take his spot. But I think the Padres are pretty much financially committed in Weaver, and and they're just going to have to run him out there and. Uh, Padre fans are just going to have to be patient and, and, and wait for Lamet to hopefully uh, work out some of his uh, control issues in the, in the minor leagues. And this um, is why you have to, like, Padres fans should be focused on the draft and the farm system and not yeah. anything yeah, yeah. other than the developing young players at the big league level. Like, you just kind of sure. have to selectively focus your attention. Yeah, but, you know the majority of the fan base is is content and happy with 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 the progression that's going on, but a lot of them are sadly just, we, the, the fan base has just been abused for the past ten, fifteen, twenty years. 
um, with fire sales and, and other unmentionables. But mm. it's natural for them to be a little uh, a little concerned. Um, but you know, it, it, the farm system has never looked this way before for the for the team in in my adulthood at least. And it's exciting to see all these young players and and their uh, their upside is is unknown at this point. But it's still exciting to have a system that's trying at this point. And, and for a long yeah. time, the team wasn't trying. And, and that's was really sad. Um, you know, let's talk a little bit about the international market. Um, it closes on uh, June 15th. Um, Luis Robert is a name that's really been out there. Um, I would imagine he'll sign before the period to take advantage yeah. of the uh, financial um, <laughs> downfall that's coming his way. But let's talk about Robert and what you see in him. And if you think the Padres will even have a shot uh, at throwing more money into that market. Yeah, I think everyone sort of knows that the White Sox kind of set the market. They were the first ones to really put in, like, a pretty serious bid. And after that, so the people that I've spoken to about it, uh, and look, he's, he's, well, let's start, let me start by talking about the kid. I saw him last summer. The Canadian national team did a tour of the, the Can-Am League, a bunch of like small towns in the Northeast. Uh, so I went to see him there. And he's been of interest to international scouts for a number of years because the talent in Cuba is more or less drying up. I know it maybe doesn't sound that way, but like we're at the tail end of this run where yeah. uh, after Robert, there's like a, there are a couple kids yet in Cuba. And it's such a huge part of the culture there that there, there are always going to be young kids coming up. But just think about the way that we've had older Cubans like Orlando Hernandez and Levon Hernandez uh, from the mid nineties. And then they just started getting younger with uh, Yoena Cespedes and Jose Abreu. And they, they got a little bit younger with Puig. Uh, and, you know, they've just gradually the age of the kids coming out of Cuba has gotten younger and younger and younger because people internationally have all seen this day coming, which you alluded to, where Major League Baseball ownership is just like, you know, we don't want to spend this much money on these kids anymore uh, because we'd like to keep that money for ourselves. So let's continue to impose harder slotting systems on international baseball. The players union doesn't really care because all the people that are part of it have already gone through the draft process and the international signing process. So they'll feel free to use uh, the kids' rights and negotiating leverage as a chip that they can sell to us for themselves as well. So let's do it. So that's why, like, in my opinion, the we've seen a flood of uh, younger Cubans coming over before next year's, uh, well, th- this year's July 2nd slotting system takes hold. Uh, so yes, Robert is probably going to sign, uh, like extremely, 100% likely to sign before uh, the bonus pools are capped. So... Uh, he, he had been rumored to be trying to get off of the island for a while. And there was a time when I was speaking to international scouts who thought that, yeah, like maybe he had left. Uh, but then he popped up again on the national team and he looked, he started to get heavy and maybe look a little disinterested, uh, on the field. So it went from scouts talking about him as a potential like five tool center field prospect to, him getting pretty big for a young guy, moving to left field on the national team, and some scouts thinking maybe if he continued this rate of physical growth that he'd have to move to first base. But since wow. he has but since he has left the island, like I'm sure you guys have seen the videos and the pictures of him. Yeah, and yeah. Stuff, no. 
like he looks unbelievable. And he's having workouts with all these teams, and he's consistently homering off of live pitching. It's probably not it's not great pitching, uh, but he's doing it, and he's like running uh, exceptionally well. And he just looks like every bit the part of the tooled up Cuban guys that we've seen come over over the last half decade or so. And uh, it would probably you know as soon as he sets foot on a professional field, like he's a top 100 prospect type of type of guy. Um, so, yes, it seems like the White Sox set the market. The teams I've heard most aggressively pursuing him are St. Louis. Uh, and it's all the teams that have gone over their bonus pool already, right? And I'm sure you guys know why. Like, they, it's just they don't have anything to lose except more money. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the the Cardinals, I've heard, are, are big-time players because of the – their draft pick situation this year, they signed Dexter Fowler, lost the pick. Yeah. Uh, they lost other picks because of the Astros hacking scandal. They don't pick until like the mid nineties in the draft. So this yeah. is like the last opportunity that they are going to have to add a big time amateur talent to their farm system. So like it's logical for them to pursue this guy in, in a, an aggressive way. Um, yeah, I've heard the Padres are interested, obviously. Um, I think uh, Ben Badler at BA reported that uh, Preller was not at the Padres' private workout for him last yeah. week, which I think is maybe a telling sign. But, of course, Preller's yeah. got a, the third <laughs> overall pick the third overall pick in the draft to worry about, so he's probably seeing guys uh, like that. Again, like John, Badler reported John Moseliak, the Cardinals general manager, was there. Preller was not, probably because Preller has, like, you know, Royce Lewis and um, Hunter Green and stuff to worry about, whereas Moseliak does not. Um, so that's sort of interesting as far as it relates to the Padres. The Astros are another team who I think are in. They've spent pretty heavily in Cuba recently, and it's gone pretty well. Uh, I think the early returns on the guys that they've, they've signed, especially from Cuba – are pretty good. So um, they might be, and that's another team that doesn't really have a chance to to acquire high-end amateur talent anytime soon because they're just a really good team who's not going to pick very high in the draft uh, for a while. So there's some argument there. And, you know, the, there are people that think uh, when push comes to shove that the White Sox and Jerry Reinsdorf just aren't going to pony up to cash necessary to sign this guy. And I think that's kind of what my gut tells me now, if you ask me to handicap the teams that we're going to sign Robert, I'd probably have the Cardinals number one and Houston number two. Okay, That's fair enough. The White Sox aren't over their cap limit this uh, this period, are they? No. Their, uh, their situation is interesting. They signed a couple interesting international guys, but they weren't over their limit. Uh-huh. But like because of the way international amateur signing works, most of the guys for next year's, well, this year's upcoming class already have handshakes in place with teams uh, and the White Sox don't really like they're not in danger if they blow out their this year's bonus pool ends June 15th so the White Sox if they blow out their pool by signing Robert will be barred from signing uh, expensive players for the next couple years but they don't have any expensive agreements in place that they'd be breaking if they were to sign Robert right now so that's why they're in Um, whereas like a team like I don't know the Red Sox or whatever um, have agreements in place with guys that they have to break if they were to sign a guy like this. 
Um, not that they're allowed to, but, um, but yeah, that's sort of the situation why the White Sox have, have jumped in uh, with all the other teams who are already over their bonus pool. Well, it's definitely going to be an interesting story to watch in the coming weeks because he's got to sign sooner than rather than later. So, Yeah, he's got basically got like a, a two-week window to sign mm-hmm. because he'll be eligible to sign on May 20th if he hasn't already agreed to a deal. Yeah. Um, and then, But he has to sign before June 15th, so there's like a 25-day window. Yeah, so we will definitely uh, see a conclusion here. Hopefully soon. <laughs> um, so I, you mentioned the draft a little bit, so that's something I wanted to get into. So now is probably a good time. Um, I wanted your thoughts on if you think it is at all plausible that Hunter Green falls to the Potters at three, and if that is not likely or you don't think that's going to happen, if Royce Lewis is a nice consolation prize, if you want to even call it that. Mm. Uh, I think there's a there's a chance that Green falls to three. It would probably have to revolve around his seeming disinterest with Cincinnati. Yeah. I know, like, that Keith uh, Law has reported that, like, the kid – was it Keith or was it – I don't remember. Someone has reported that uh, – and, like, I've more or less heard this as well – that, like, the kid has, as he should, vetted the orgs at the top of the draft mm-hmm. and discussed – um, like their pitching development philosophies with them. Uh, and it seems as though he came away like uh, maybe a little bit apprehensive about Cincinnati. Um, but ultimately, like the Reds – what's if the Reds draft you number two and offer you $7 million, are you going to say no? Uh, so like <laughs> if the Reds really want him, they could draft him and, and, and sign him. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think the, what the argument that people aren't talking about is how good Kyle Wright is. <laughs> yeah. Like the top of the draft seems to be Wright, the Vanderbilt righty who's like consistently 93, 94, will touch a six plus breaking ball, uh, chance for an above average plus change up, chance for an above average plus slider, has an incredible like Michael Kopechian physique 64 like to- 220 totally shredded like unbelievable physique mm-hmm. uh, explosive arm he just wasn't very good at the beginning of the year but he's been lights out lately and i think it's worth asking if you'd rather have that guy than hunter green who is yeah he's ex- an exceptional talent uh but there are scouts who don't think he's got a swing and miss breaking ball in there so, like, I think it's fair to wonder which one of those guys you'd rather have at one or two, along with Brendan McKay, who, you know, if folks listening to this don't know, Brendan McKay, Louisville lefty, strong body, low 90s, plus curveball, chance for plus command. Like, it's also very good. Um, so, like, if Green does fall to three, I think it might just be because the Reds and Twins just like McKay and Wright better than him, which I think is total. there's an argument for that. Um Royce Lewis at three, yeah, like I've heard them with Lewis too, just like everybody else has. Um, Lewis is, he's really good. 70 runner, he's not a shortstop for me, but I could see a team trying it there for a while. He's center field for me, it's still a premium defensive position. And like has a great feel to hit. He hit very well against elite pitching last summer on the showcase circuit. Good feel for all fields contact. And yeah, like I guess there's there, he's a little 
uh, fidgety and manic. He's kind of a weird baseball player to watch. Like he's just hyperactive on the baseball field in ways that look like maybe the game is moving a little too fast for him at times, uh, which is a little strange for a Southern California high school kid who uh, those that group of kids is typically very polished compared to a lot of their their peers. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, like there's a chance that he's a plus hitter with average power and hits you know 15 plus homers a year while playing a, a dynamite center field and that's an awesome awesome prospect so at you know at three it's a totally it's a totally fine pick uh and i don't i don't think it's necessarily at worst you're like it's a half grade maybe below what you'd be getting out of out of right or green or or mckay uh so yeah i don't think that's that's a bad deal at all uh but uh but yeah i think that the draft for for them is kind of like those three or four guys at this point. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Is there anybody else that you guys have have heard about as you've sort of monitored things that you guys would be psyched to see them take? Um, I've heard a little bit about Mackenzie Gore. I'm not sure he goes that high, but I've heard him at five or six. Yeah, uh, I know. I'm pretty sure I saw I saw Preller at one of Kyle Wright's starts early in the year when he was just like. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I'm pretty sure he's been in to see Gore and Austin Beck. Oh, yeah, uh, Austin Beck's another one as well. Go. Yeah, Beck is a guy who I, I – uh, three is kind of high yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> for I agree. me. Um, but yeah, like Gore Gore's interesting uh, because it's like 90-92. Might show you a five. Uh, but he's – crazy athletic and might have plus command and has a chance for like multiple above average plus secondary pitches like there's a curveball and slider in there and his changeup is already plus and it's it's rare you don't typically hear about high school arms using their changeup in mm-hmm. high school because most of the time if you're an elite draft prospect in high school throwing an 85 mile an hour changeup is just doing opposing hitters a favor when you can you know, yeah. throw 94 past other high school like, high school kids that aren't prospects. Mm-hmm. Uh, but like Gore, Gore misses bats with his changeup because it just has such incredible, uh, like Jacques Cousteau dive to it. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I mean he'd be kind of interesting there at three two. Uh, the one thing that no one has talked about yet publicly about t- any team at the top of this draft is who might be willing to cut a deal. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think the Padres aren't in position to do this this year. Like they kind of seem like they were trying to do last year mm-hmm. uh, because just too many teams have multiple picks between where San Diego picks at yeah. three and where they pick at, I don't know, like 40 or 39. Yeah. Um, like the reds and the twins and Tampa and even like Toronto and Chicago who have multiple picks at the back of the first round can thwart uh, the best laid plans of, of you know these underslot deals at up top to try to move talented high schoolers back to your second pick. Uh, and further complicating things is the way the bonus pools up top have changed. Uh, I don't know if you guys have have thought about this, but like, the Phillies' first overall pick last year had a nine million dollar slot value, mm-hmm. and then the Reds' pick at two was like seven and three quarters, and the Braves was like six and a half at three. And this this year, 
the bonus amounts are like more leveled. Twins pick at one is is the slot value is like seven point seven. Yeah. And then the Reds are seven point one, and then the Padres are like close to seven. Uh-huh. So it's harder to to like the the Phillies last year could say, hey, Mickey Moniak will give you whatever six million dollars because the next place you're going to go, you're only going to get five point five million. So you can go number one and get an extra half mil. And we get to save $3 million that we can move back to our other picks. But it's just harder for teams to do that this year. Because if you're the Twins at one and you call a kid and say, hey, uh, the next highest place you're going to go is at three, so we can save $1 million and you make an extra $200,000? Like, it's just not as easy to do it as it used to be. So I'm not sure if the, the Kyle Schwarber type of deal... Uh, the Carlos Correa type of deal, like that stuff's not doesn't seem like it's going to happen as much anymore, uh, and certainly not in this draft unless you're like maybe Cincinnati. It sounds like might be the one team that that has a an interesting opportunity to do it. But but yeah, so I uh, I think it's kind of just like your board is your board up top, and you just take who's there. And yeah, I think for San Diego it'll probably be Green right. Or Lewis, and I think yeah, Gore is kind of an interesting dark horse candidate there as well. But I think you're going to get a good player at four. Yeah, I think it's a, I think or it's a three. good yeah I think it's a good bet to get someone worthwhile there. Obviously, yeah. yeah, like you said, I think the Reds and Twins both have two more picks before the Padres pick at 39 because they both have a uh, competitive balance picks. So that yeah, that, that, like you said, that puts them in a bad spot if they're trying to uh, yeah. get someone to fall to them, uh, taking a underslot deal. Um, okay, James, you want to jump in? Yeah, you know, Eric, I'd love to talk about um, a prospect who's kind of uh, shot up the Padres' ranks in, in recent years, and that's Luis Urias. Um, a lot of fans are, are really excited about him. Um, have you had a chance to see him firsthand, and uh, can you give me some uh, impressions of the young man? I have, yeah. it's uh, He's got a very precocious idea of where his bat is and like what he has to do. Like, it's just a very natural and sublime feel to hit. Uh, he's small, and not just, like, short, but, like, he's he's a small guy. But, um, like, so is Mookie Betts, and he's fine. I don't think Orias is a shortstop. Uh, so when you talk about him as a second or third baseman, you maybe expect there to be more power than you could see coming from uh, Orias, who... You know, it's just it's a, he's a small guy, um, and like we were saying the same things about Jose Altuve when he was in Double A and absolutely obliterating Double A. Uh, so yeah, I think that there's a chance that like this kid is just a freak who has an 80 bat and hits like 315, 320, and it just doesn't Everywhere. matter. Yeah, it yeah. just doesn't matter how much power he has. Uh, because he just hits so much. Like there's, yeah. I think, legitimately that there's just a chance for that. But when you're a when you're a scout, or more specifically, when you're like an analyst and you're responsible for covering every prospect on earth, you kind of have to use heuristics to make your decisions and line guys up, especially when you can't like be constantly seeing them, uh, like scouts are. So, uh, I understand the my own apprehension and other people's apprehension about like shoving him way up on top 100 lists because you're essentially calling him like a once in a generation type of player who Mm -hmm. just has this freakish ability. Um, 
But like you know, we're talking about a, a well, how old is he still? Nineteen at double A. Yeah, yeah, he's doing yeah. this. So yeah, I, I think he's. I think it's pretty special, and um, certainly when uh, updated like midseason lists get done, someone who requires pretty heavy reevaluation based on what they've done so far this season. But I think it's also fair to sit back and say, hey. It's been a couple weeks. Like, let's see if Double A can solve this kid. So, yeah, it's a weird situation too. It's like this is how guys slip through the cracks of top 100 lists. Mm-hmm. Is what all there a lot, especially in the, uh, especially writing in a community that is primarily analytics based at this point in time, right? Like, uh, if you were to line up baseball analysis in the 21st century, like it's very heavily analytics based. Those people get information on a daily basis about how guys perform. Like it, it's updating every day. Whereas like combing the entire globe for prospect information is just a much slower process. And you can't just constantly have a shuffling top 100 ranking of guys, uh, you know, at, at any given time. Like it just takes a lot of time to do that. Um, so someone like, uh, Orias or like Walker Bueller this year, who is going to shoot from a ball to the major leagues at some point. Like those, if those guys graduate and were never on your hundred list, you get questions about why. But it's just because your process is much slower than uh, like the the information age wants it to be. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Arias's play discipline is just uh, it's remarkable. It's kind of a rarity in this day and age. I mean. To basically walk as many times as you strike out is, is a rarity, and, and, yeah. and it's a throwback, if you will. Um, let's talk about a, a prospect who's probably lacking plate discipline presently, and that'd be uh, Fernando Tatis Jr. Um, a lot of scouts or analysts are really high on him. Um, while I've seen others kind of kind of have a little more of a ground uh, grounded uh, uh, envision of him at, for his future. Um, Talk to me about uh, Tatis and, and whether you think he can stay at, at short and uh, what uh, his long-term ability is. Not a shortstop for me, but okay. potentially an elite defensive third baseman. It's like a plus-plus arm with terrific hands and actions. He's just a, a huge kid, who, and you just don't typically see shortstops this size uh, at maturity. He's got monster raw power. And it's probably going to grow into more. Like, there's a chance he grows into plus plus raw power, like on par with uh, some of the, the the bigger power prospects in the minors, like Eloy Jimenez and stuff. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, even at third base, as long as he hits, like it's going to be to- totally fine. Uh, you know, but yeah, like there's some swing and miss there. If there's some effort to the swing, and so I think he's just going to have. It's going to take some time. But this is a guy who a year ago. Like literally, almost exactly a year ago, was in extended spring training with the White Sox. He was nowhere to be found on the previous year's July second uh, prospect rankings, other than because he was Fernando Tatis's kid. Um, so he was a guy in extended last year who scouts were just starting to see and talk about. And by late in the summer, everyone loved him. So um, I, I know it's been a slow start. But I, he's, he's the age of a kid who is typically still back here and extended and plays uh, late in the summer at short season ball somewhere. Mm-hmm. So I think the fact that he's struggling is is totally fine. 
He's going to have to make adjustments at some point. He's going to have to learn how to make adjustments at some point. Everybody does. So, uh, you know, it's just time for him to face failure for the first time and learn how to deal with it. And it's probably better that he's doing it now than doing it like uh, like Byron Buxton has had to in front of mm-hmm. every Twins fan who, who has <laughs> expected him to be, you know, unbelievable since he was drafted. And um, I think it's it's just better for you to learn how to deal with it, I think, at for most players at the lower levels of the minors and it's just growing pains. I think he'll be fine. I think he's really, really talented. All right, so another guy that uh, actually shares a team with uh, Tatis, I want to talk about Jorge Ona and uh, your thoughts on him, maybe a little comparison between the two. Uh, I think both have somewhat similar uh, issues with strikeouts, although I think Ona to a, to a lesser extent. Um, what are your thoughts on him? Yeah, Ona's – and like a lot of the Cuban guys who come over, he's seen – physical fluctuations because these guys go months without playing games and they're Mm -hmm. like in hiding and it's it's not a fun situation so when he arrived stateside last fall he looked big um and like slower than he international scouts reported him as being but this spring it's been better and uh yeah i don't um i think there's a chance that he you know hits hits for power provides some value on the basis and plays a good corner outfield spot. I'm probably off him as a center field prospect at this point. Um, and he's probably a little old for the Midwest League. Uh, I think that it'll be fun to watch him in the Cal League in the second half if he gets promoted. Yeah. Um, yeah, there's like maybe there's some concern. His swing is a little bit grooved. But there's big bat speed and power and... I, I think he's gonna be. I think he's gonna be pretty good. Yeah, I think he'll probably be. I think he's got a chance to be an above-average everyday outfielder. It's probably a little more likely he's you know like a two, a two to two and a half, uh, WAR type of player at peak. So Yasiel but, uh, Puig comp or <laughs> no? <laughs> uh, no, he's just Jorge Ona, man. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a good way to describe it. I yeah. think. <laughs> yeah. Well, Eric, we, we really appreciate you you coming on and talking to us. Oh, I mean, sure we could have gone we could have gone all day uh, just throwing out Padre prospects and, and getting your uh, your opinion of them. I mean, it's a uh, it's a good thing we actually have a lot of prospects to talk about the, this time around. So it's it's a it's a it's a wonderful thing for Padre fans, that's for sure. Um, my last question for you is: I'd love for you to give me your best Padres prospect that not many people have heard of yet. Damn! Now I wish I would not have blown my Miliano load <laughs> early in the podcast. Uh, that's hard. Maybe uh, like a Michael Baez? I, I, we haven't talked to, talked about him. I know a lot of yeah. people. Yeah. Baez, to... Baez is another Cuban righty. He's huge, man. He's like he, – he might be 6'7 when all is said and done. Mm-hmm. Um, he's more of an arm strength lottery ticket right now. He's pretty. He's like a big, stiff kid. It's not like Miliano, where it's loose and there's like yeah, touch and feel, yeah. and you can you can see the command. Uh, he just throws real hard. <laughs> uh, yeah. So yeah, he's pretty interesting. But um, oh man, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think of the guys I put like way, way down the list last year who would be uh, who would be interesting to talk about. Henry Henry's kind of interesting, and I know people yeah. who are a little higher on him than I am. Just because they've seen him throw hard, harder than I than I have. Like I've seen him at eighty eight, eighty nine, mm-hmm. but others have seen him like two to four. Um, oh, okay, all right. I think I got my guy. All uh, right, all right. 
Jordy Barley. Okay, okay. Uh, so shortstop. Barley, yeah, shortstop who signed for, I think it was an even million last July, mm-hmm. was super raw and is still pretty raw uh, from like a refined baseball skills perspective, but he can absolutely fly. He has the tools to play shortstop. And when I saw him last fall, he was weak with the bat. Like this, this is what international scouts were saying. It was totally what I anticipated to see. It was just a raw tools kid who you like expect to see at the complex level for a couple seasons as he works on his baseball acumen. And but there's the tools for shortstop there, and whatever else comes, you just you know is great. Um, he's been parking balls in the like lot. Uh, past where like the Padres outfield fence is in Peoria. Mm-hmm. Wow. Okay. Yeah, like he's been tanking some 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 serious bombs this spring. His swing, and if you go on the Fangraphs YouTube page, you can see I've got video from like last fall uh, and this spring, and you'll be able to see it's like night and day. He's taking monster hacks uh, this spring, and like it's it's a little wild and out of control. But he was like a slappy teenage, like, you know, he was a 16, 17-year-old hitter in the fall last year. And now he's like taking, I don't know, like there's more power there than there was last fall. So now we're talking about a prospect who has a chance to, to be good defensively at shortstop, uh, run really well, and hit for some power. And if he hits, like that's a, that's a huge ceiling player. <laughs> like a shortstop who hits and hits for power is like, Corey Seager does that. <laughs> like, yeah. that's ridiculous. Yeah. So, I mean, he's way far away. And, like, you know, projecting him as such is we're getting ahead of ourselves. Uh, and we want to see him play consistently in games more than just extended games before we start talking like that, obviously. Mm-hmm. But that, those yeah. kind of tools, these kind of tools don't grow on trees either. So, like, yeah, that's a guy who I think Padres fans should be monitoring in the low minors, uh, probably on one of the two AZL teams this summer. Yeah, uh, because the tools are pretty crazy, and it just sort of gets lost among the other July second kids like Luis Almanzar and Morejon, yeah. who just yeah. signed for more money. And yeah, like they're objectively probably more talented, uh, but like this is this is definitely a dude who you should be paying attention to. Along with like Gabriel Arias is another guy we could talk about from that signing class, and yeah, uh, Justin Lopez and stuff. Yeah, it's just. It's a lot of fun to sit in Peoria and watch the Padres kids right now. For sure. You know, b- b- quick question. Between the, the young shortstops that uh, they drafted or that they signed through the international uh, period, Barley, Almanzar, Arias, Lopez, um, which do you think has a long-term ability to stick at short? Uh, I know they're all around roughly the same age and they're all very yeah. young. I think Arias, Arias is a lock. Yeah, he's Barley, very good defensively, right? Yeah. Um. Barley is a – he has the physical tools to play there but might ultimately move to second base. I'd say it's probably like – he's probably 50-50. And then Lopez and Almanzar are in the possible but unlikely category for me. Okay. Like if you're putting all the shortstop prospects in the buckets, I say that Arias is a yes. Barley is a maybe. Uh, Almanzar and Lopez are probably not. And uh, Tatis is probably in that uh, in that realm as well. Yeah. I no, think I, that's all, I, right? 
Yeah, that's the the four core group, I guess you could call. But yeah, um, I talked to Chris Kemp uh, uh, last season during the Futures game, and he was telling me how uh, Arias is 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 so solid defensively that uh, he was it, it, just impressed with the, with the, the ability that he had. That I mean, he say I guess he saw him in a in a parking lot taking ground balls, and he was just eating them up like nothing. And so yeah, it's a uh, it's interesting. Um, you know. Eric, thank you so much. We, we we ran a little over, but that's just because we were having such a great time talking to you. We, sure. we really appreciate you coming on, and we'd love to have you on again uh, if you ever had uh, some availability to, to, to talk about these uh, Padre prospects again. Oh, sure, guys. Yeah, anytime. Cool. Patrick, anything else uh, be- for Eric before we uh, dismiss him? No, I think we covered uh, just about everything we possibly could in the time we had. <laughs> yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, once again, Eric, thank you so much. Uh, Fangrass lead prospect analyst uh, Eric Langen- Langenhagen here. Um, it was a great time. Thank you so much for coming on, man. See you guys. Take care. Well, folks, there you go. It's great to hear uh, someone with the experience and knowledge that Eric has uh, talking about our, our, our young players and kind of giving us a, a little bit of a prospect re- report on each of them. Um, it's going to be fun to see these guys uh, develop and, and get here eventually over time. Yeah, it's definitely there's definitely a lot of guys to talk about, and we covered almost all the big ones, I think, so... Definitely yeah, a good conversation. Yeah, definitely. Um, I just wanted to give uh, Eric a shout-out. Uh, follow him on Twitter. He's at Longenhagen. That's L-O-N-G-E-N-H-A-G-E-N. Uh, he posts daily pieces at uh, Fangraphs, just prospect notes, guys he's seen recently, uh, guys he looks at in the backfields. Uh, it's definitely a good read. It's not always about Padre prospects, obviously, but I think it's still a good read for anyone who's interested in getting to know more about uh, kind of under-the-radar prospects or maybe some big-name prospects as well. Yeah, definitely. It's a good time with Eric, and it's uh, it's always good to get uh, an outsider's uh, viewpoint of, of the team and the players. We, a lot of times we get uh, we get our constant uh, views from our own Padres analysts and, and Padres scouts, if you will, and it's nice to hear something from someone who's not biased, if you will. Yeah, he's got a pretty neutral viewpoint. He has no, uh, I guess, stake in the team at all, so it's nice to hear yeah, the exactly. good reports and, and honesty as well. I mean... Some guys we were a little higher on. He's not as high on, which I think that's fair. There's always going to be some disagreement in the industry. Yep, definitely. Okay, folks. Well, thank you so much for joining us on uh, episode 34 of the Padres EVT podcast. Uh, Patrick, you want to send us out? I think we're good to go. Yeah, we'll be back uh, early next week with uh, another solo show with me and James. Um, we are hosted on Podbean. You can give us a follow and a like on there. We're on iTunes. We're on Stitcher. We're on Podcast Republic. Any podcast app you use will be on there. Um, I am on Twitter at PatrickBrewer93. James is EBT underscore news, as well as, like like I say, a bunch of other Twitters. <laughs> James is <laughs> yeah. busy. Uh, yeah, so yeah, give us a follow. Please, please, if you like the show, give us a, a, a review on iTunes. That's much appreciated. That helps us. Uh, that's about it, James. All right. Thank you so much, folks. Uh, episode number 34 is in the books. East Village Times Podcast, signing out. EBT is out here broadcasting. EBT is out here podcasting. Question and answer, James and Patrick, ask them. Question and answer, James and Patrick, ask them. Padres EBT Podcast. Padres EBT Podcast.